You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. God's kingdom restored in the earth. Is that fact or is it fiction? Well, the kingdom of God existed in the times of David and Solomon, kings of Israel, albeit in an inferior form to that which is promised in the future. However, God overturned the royal line of Judah, which he said would be no more until he come whose right it is. That, thankfully, righteous king is the Lord Jesus Christ who will be restored to the king of Israel, or rather, he will restore the kingdom of Israel, necessitating his physical and literal return to the earth. We're going to be looking tonight at this subject which explains that the kingdom of God, by its very definition, the title itself implies that the kingdom of God has existed on the earth before. Mm, That's interesting, isn't it? We're going to have a bit of a look at how the Bible explains that to be the case. And as we do it, we'll go on an interesting journey together through God's word, as Jesse said in his opening prayer. Now, this is, I believe, a bit of a workshop, so I'm looking for some good interaction. So thank you, Kit. And uh, there's some pretty intelligent looking people up the front here, or at least in the middle, uh, which we'll be able to get lots of answers from. So, First of all, it doesn't matter how much you, or how little even of the Bible you've read, it's very clear that the kingdom of God is spoken of many, many times. For example, think about this, Matthew chapter 6. Who knows what this quote is sometimes called? Yeah. The Lord's Prayer. Why is it called that? Because the disciples asked the Lord Jesus Christ how they should pray. Sort of like a, you know, how should they go about praying? And this is how he replied. Now look at this. Isn't this remarkable? In this very well-known prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the first thing that Jesus says we should pray for? Thy kingdom come. So even perhaps right at the start, you'd say one of the most important prayers, probably known, I'm not sure, I haven't got any science to back this up, but it would have to be one of the most well-known parts of the Bible, refers immediately to the kingdom. And, And there's references that go all the way through. We're just going to pick a few of them out. The Lord Jesus Christ himself believed he would be king. He believed this. We know that because of a conversation that he had with Pilate just before he was crucified. And Pilate, because he'd been told by the Jews that Jesus was the king of the Jews, he puts that question to him. Pilate said unto Jesus, oh, are you a king? And look what Jesus said. He didn't say no. He said the opposite. You've, thou sayest that I'm a king. We would say something like, you know, you've said it. You know, if someone says something, can you agree with them? Well, you've said it. That's what Jesus said. Thou sayest that I'm a king. Not only should he be a king, but to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. So the very purpose of Jesus Christ, the very reason why he came into the earth, the reason, 
was for him to be a king. Amazing, isn't it? So, the Lord's Prayer prays, Jesus tells us, to pray for the kingdom. When he's asked if he's a king, he tells Pilate, yes, I'm a king. And actually, as he said, to this end was I born. Well, let's go back and have a look at when he was born. He was absolutely born to be king. Now, Luke chapter 1 is the description of the angel coming to Mary, the mother of Jesus. You can see I've just got the key points up here. So the angel Gabriel comes and Mary's going to have a son. Who's that son? Well, it's Jesus. What about that son? He's going to be great, called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now, if you get a throne, what does that mean you are? You're a king, aren't you? You're a queen. That's what they sit on, apparently. Thrones. And just if we thought we were misinterpreting it, look at the next bit. He shall reign over the house of Jacob. And if we still didn't get the point, because we're a little bit slow, of his kingdom, there shall be no end. And Jesus is born to be king. It's clear, isn't it? So he prayed for the kingdom to come. He told Pilate he was the king. The angel Gabriel told Mary when he was, just before he was born that he would be the king. So then get a bit of a message here. It's a kingdom happening, isn't it? But maybe that's just Jesus' thoughts. Maybe that's just the... No, it's the Old Testament as well. So all of that was in the New Testament, of course. But if you go to the Old Testament, you find out that this message of a kingdom continues through. In Daniel... Daniel chapter 2, and we'll look at some of these quotes in a bit more detail later. This is just to sort of get our taster right so we understand where things are at. In the days of these kings, which kings we'll find out in a bit, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. And it's a pretty amazing kingdom, just like it, our Lord Jesus Christ was, was described as being a king that would reign forever. So in Daniel chapter 2, this kingdom is described as lasting forever, never be destroyed not left to other people. So it doesn't matter whether we're looking at the New Testament or the Old Testament. doesn't matter whether we're looking at well-known words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere, the Bible is full of the kingdom. Here's a New Testament one. Paul, this time, he's writing to one of his protégés, Timothy. And look at this. The Lord Jesus Christ will, will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And then he goes on to describe the fact that he sees that as a part, or he sees himself as being part of that. So again, as we started our session tonight, it doesn't matter where you go in the Bible. The Bible is full of references to the kingdom of God. Old Testament, New Testament, well-known quotes, not so well-known quotes. But what is that kingdom? What is that kingdom? Well, some people believe it's something in your heart. Now, I'm going to say right at the outset that we don't believe this, all right? So if you're taking notes, you can put a little note that says we don't believe this. But some people believe this is what the kingdom is. So this is a, this is a section I've got from some people called the Hillsong Church. And when they're talking about the kingdom of God, because you can't really deny it, if, unfortunately, you know, even if you didn't believe in it, the Bible's full of references to the kingdom. So what do they say? Well, they talk about the kingdom, but they say 
The kingdom, God and his kingdom, are not of this world. And they quote from John 18, verse 36. We're going to have a look at that in just a minute. So what do they say? The kingdom of God, they say, is not a physical kingdom. It is a transformation of heart and mind, a way of believing and living in preparation for eternity. They go on to say, the kingdom of God refers to God's reign on earth and consequently in our hearts. So the Bible's full of references to a kingdom, but in this particular case, those who are part of the Hillsong Church, they say, well, it's not, a real, it's not a physical kingdom. It's a kingdom in our hearts. Now, is that correct? That's what we're going to have a little bit of a, a dig around today. Is that consistent? And, and at the start, they have put a quote up, haven't they? They've put a quote up from John chapter 18. Now, if you were particularly alert before, you would have seen that we were quoting from John 18 before. So if you've got your Bibles there, just go back a page or two to John 18. And John 18 is, as we mentioned before, when the Lord Jesus Christ was before Pilate. And we quoted before from verse 37, where Pilate says to Jesus, are you a king? And he says, I am. To this end was I born and for this cause came I into the world. But have a look at verse 36. That's the one that the Hillsong Church say means that the kingdom's not physical. It's not literal. Because when Pilate's questioning Jesus, Jesus answered in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. What did Jesus mean? Does that mean it's not a literal kingdom? Well, let's have a little look. That word world there, see how it says my kingdom is not of this world. That word, world, is the Greek word cosmos. The New Testament being written in Greek. And, and we sort of recognise that, I assume. You know, you talk about cosmopolitan. That is the things related to the arrangement of the world as we know it. So you can see here, according to Strong's Concordance, the word cosmos means an orderly arrangement. That is a decoration. So it's, it's the systems that are in place. The order of things, how things are done. And this is by implication the world. In a wide or a narrow sense, that's not particularly helpful, isn't it? So it means the word can be used to describe across a whole range of different things. So an orderly arrangement. So that, maybe there's a point with what those in the Hillsong Church are saying with this. If Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world, does he mean that his kingdom is not of the literal world? Well, let's just have a little think about this. What Jesus is saying is, my kingdom is not of this arrangement of things, this order of things. Well, what was the order of things when Jesus was speaking to Pilate? Well, the Romans were in control. Mankind was ruling. Were people doing God's will? The vast majority were not. It was the time when men were in control in the world. And Jesus said, 
My kingdom, my kingdom's not part of that order of things. And just to sort of explain this a little clearer, have a look at this. In John chapter 12, just back a few pages, you'll see the same word world is used there. And it, it really helps, I think, to explain what this idea of cosmos means. An order of things, an arrangement of things. So John chapter 12, Jesus talking again. And he says, I'm come a light into the world. Now that word world is the same word cosmos. I'm come a light into this arrangement of things, this order of things. And what was that order? Let's remind ourselves again. It's the Romans were in control of the world. People were serving man's ways. Men were in control. And Jesus says, well, I'm come a light into that arrangement of things. And when I come in, I'm like this light that people can sun suddenly see in the middle of darkness. See that? Whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge this arrangement of things, this order, but to save this arrangement of things, this order. See, see how it's being used in this way? So Jesus is saying, I'm not come to fight. I'm not come to change things. I'm not come to, to judge this order of things as they are now. I'm not going to come out and kick the Romans out. He's saying to Pilate, what he's saying here, I'm here to come as a light to this arrangement of things so that people can see. And whereas they were like in, in darkness, so far as God's concerned, now all of a sudden they can see and then they can believe and, and I can change them. I can save them, he says. But even in this, look at this. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now that's interesting, isn't it? So Jesus says, I'm not come to judge this order of things now, the, the arrangement that it's set up, but there's coming a day, the last day, when the words that I speak will judge those people. And so you can see this idea of the world or the cosmos refers to the arrangement of, or order of things as they exist now, or at, at the particular time when Jesus was speaking. It's the, the setup, if you like, of things. And Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom's not part of this setup. I'm not going to set up a, a, a competition to Caesar in Rome. If it was, my servants would fight, he said, but it's not. My kingdom is not of this order of things. Well, what is the kingdom of then? What is the kingdom of? Let's have a look. Let's find out from the Bible. First of all, actually, even before we do that, even if we were just to go, which I did, and have a look online and say, well, what makes up a kingdom? What do you think you'd find? What would make up a kingdom? What do you need if you're going to have a kingdom? We'll test the intelligentsia before I go up to the next slide. Kit. You need a king. That's good. Well, you need a ruler, don't you? It could be a queen, king. Um, that's what sometimes they're called other names. Subjects. You need subjects. Good one. Because otherwise, not much of a kingdom if you're not ruling anyone. What else? Terrible. You need some land, don't you? Otherwise... Sort of like, again, not much of a kingdom. So we need a ruler, subjects, 
territory, what else? Laws. laws, you need some laws. Pretty good. Anything else? Yeah, you need some form of government. Whew. Amazing. Well, according to the National Geographic, the, they say that if you're getting, now think about what we just said, it's, and they didn't hear this conversation, of course, when whoever wrote this in the National Geographic, it says, a kingdom's a piece of land. There you go, tick, you need, you need some land if you're gonna have a kingdom. Rule by a ruler, king or queen, called a monarchy. So someone is, is leading. And then it says kingdoms are one of the earliest types of societies, date back thousands of years, different kingdoms. They can do things stretched over. Oh, there you go, there's our land piece again, isn't it? Kingdoms are rarely ruled by an absolute monarch. Kingdoms are usually broken into smaller territories that are governed by officials. There's someone, Josh said, I think, that there's governance, isn't there? There's processes, governed, so there's laws and there's people. All those elements, even from a pure definition of a kingdom, those things exist. They have to. They, they, they define a kingdom. So it's a, bit, it's a bit of a leap of faith if you say that this Bible that keeps talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, is suddenly referring to something that sits in your heart, doesn't it? Because even... Even if you work for the National Geographic and you're writing an article on what makes up a kingdom, you recognise that they're the physical things that make up a kingdom. Land, ruler, governance, laws, subjects. By the way, does anyone know who these people are? Who, who's that one? Any takers? Yeah. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth II. That's just as well you got that because officially she is, of course, our ruling monarch. What about this one? Does anyone know who he is? Oh, very good, John. Yeah, I just, it's got nothing to do with electric course, but it was just interesting. He's King Abdullah bin Abdul Al Sayed, who's the uh, King of Saudi Arabia. In fact, funnily enough, I, again, I'm falling into the trap of finding things interesting as I look at it. There's, there's 43 current monarchies that exist in the world today. Can you believe that? 43. I'd never have guessed that. But apparently there is. That does mean, that does count all the commonwealths as, as independent countries ruled by Queen Elizabeth. So, so, even on a pure definition sense, a kingdom means something physical. A ruler, governance, laws, subjects, land. Let's have a bit of a look at the, a bit more of a look at those quotes we looked at before to see whether there's reference to those physical elements in the quotes. Be hard to see the colours, I apologise for that. You have to sort of make out the words that you can't see. There's a word there that see, we've got ruler, government, subjects, laws, land. I was running out of colours and you know you get colours that then don't look that good on the screen but so the question we've got, is the kingdom physical or just in our hearts? Is it just something we feel or is it something that's literal? You know the difference between like literal and physical and versus something in our hearts? So this is literal and physical book. The thoughts that I have, the thoughts that I have are in my head. They're not literal or physical. That's the difference. So we're talking about is the kingdom physical, something you can touch and be part of, or is it in our hearts? Well, 
in the very context of, of the, the quote that was put up to prove that the kingdom was in our hearts, which we're saying isn't supported by the use of that word cosmos, think about this one. When Jesus was asked if he was a king, he describes himself as literally having that position, wasn't it? I am a king. And say anything about there about you know that sort of this ethereal dwelling as a king inside of us. He says, I'm a king, I was born for that purpose. And it talks about laws as well. I should bear witness under the truth. See, that's, that's like the laws. There's, there's, some, there's some absolute rights and wrongs associated with this kingship. Everyone that is of the truth, well, they're like the subjects, aren't they, of the land, the people that respond in that kingdom. What about some of the other quotes? Go back to the Lord's Prayer that we looked at before. Thy kingdom come, what does that mean? Well, what that means is, when the kingdom comes, thy, God's, will, well, that's like the laws, isn't it? The will be done in earth. Well, there's the land, as it is in heaven. And we see here, of course, that even though we've been talking about the kingdom as being Jesus Christ as the king, in actual fact, the kingdom itself belongs to God, hence our title. Kingdom of God re-established on the earth. The kingdom is God's. Jesus Christ is the king. So you can see these, the quotes that we looked at before so quickly are all reinforcing different elements of what defines a kingdom. Ruler, government, subjects, laws, land. And they're picked up in those quotes. We, and we can go through them. You know, we could... Spend the rest of the night going through this. Here's, here's our one from Luke chapter 1 again. The Lord God should give unto him the throne, the throne, the ruler, king, of his father David. Well, that's the land. We know what that is. We can go to the Old Testament and we can find out about David and the area that David literally ruled over. And that's the description of the kingdom. He shall reign, there's the rule a bit again, over the house of Jacob. A bit hard to see there, but that's the subject, isn't it? The house of Jacob. So every one of the quotes that we looked at includes elements of a physical kingdom. Those defining parts of a physical kingdom. Here's the one from 2 Timothy. Lord Jesus Christ, a ruler. He'll judge the living and the dead. They're the subjects that is appearing in his kingdom. And he goes on to say, I've fought a good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith, keeping the faith. Talking about the laws, the things that, that henceforth there's laid up for me, a crown of righteousness. Hey, hang on, is Paul the king? No, but he's, he's part of that government that we're talking about, isn't it? Remember, a king doesn't rule just a king and then everyone else. No, there's, there's layers of government associated with it. And Paul says, it's not just me that gets that, but all those that love the appearing of Jesus Christ. So, Time and time again, we get reinforcement of the physical elements of the kingdom. It's not just in our hearts. It's real. A real kingdom with a real king, real government, real subjects, real laws and real land. And if we think about that Daniel 2 Verse 44 quote. Now we only put the first bit off it up 
before, the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But look how that quote goes on. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And then the same theme we've seen come out before, about it standing forever. So all these kingdoms and the days of these kings. Now who knows what Daniel 2 is about? Actually, I can have a little drink now. I, I let that question settle out there. Daniel 2. Yes. Mitch. What was that, sorry? Caleb. Caleb, sorry, Caleb. Yes. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar's image, the, the, the interpretation given by Daniel. Exactly right. Exactly right. And what was that? Who remembers what that was? This great image of a warrior who was made up of different metals. Remember that? Gold, silver, brass, iron, feet of iron and stone. And what did those different metals represent? Countries, is that what you said? Yes, nations. Babylon. What's that? The empires, that's right. Babylon, referring to my chest here. What was that? Not my chest. Look, Medo-Persians, Greeks, Romans, and then like, modern-day Europe, wasn't it? Divided Europe. Now, how many of those, was Babylon just in someone's head? Or did it literally exist? Can you pick up a history book and read about Babylon? You can, by the way. Yep. You can go and the archaeologists have dug up Babylon. What about the Medes and the Persians? Yeah, you can read all about them. They were not very modest. They'd write great things about themselves. You can go and read it. Like graffiti everywhere that they used to write how clever they were. And the Greeks, well, they existed as well. They were literally a kingdom. And the Romans, well, they were literally a world empire, of course, because they were the ones in power when Jesus was in his first advent. And God says... In the days of these kings, speaking about that, that progression of world empires, all the, the kingdom of men as it's sort of defined as, God's going to set up a kingdom. So why would God's kingdom not be literal if it's referring to all the other kingdoms which were literal? Can you see how logically it makes sense that this kingdom of God is going to be literal? Has to be. Because all those other kingdoms were literal. Those other Dominions were literal. Literally the Babylonians, literally the Medes and the Persians, literally the Greeks and Romans, literally Europe as it's described, literally a kingdom coming, God's kingdom to be established on earth. What an amazing, now it's, it's, it's an amazing description. It's a pretty powerful message, very powerful. We might find it hard to believe in some respects, but it fits that it's literal as well because it's in the context of literal kingdoms. But so far, we've only spoken about the kingdom as something in the future. Whereas, I think it was Kit made the point that our title is God's kingdom 
re-established on earth. Now, I want you to come to the reading that we had for tonight. And Acts chapter 1 describes the time after Jesus had been raised from the dead. So the Matthew, Mark, Luke and John describe his crucifixion and his resurrection. And then Acts describes the period from his resurrection to when he goes to heaven. Described in, in verse 9 and, and 10 of Acts chapter 1. And then the period of time after that, when this gospel message was being preached to all the nations. So Acts chapter 1 has the apostles with the Lord Jesus Christ after he was raised from the dead, but before he went to heaven. And they're together. And he was only there for 40 days before he was taken up from them, as we read in our reading there. And during that time, we get a little snippet of their conversation. Have a look at verse 6. When they, the disciples... Therefore were come together, they, the disciples, asked of him, the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, now what did they say? Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? That's interesting, isn't it? So their focus is on the kingdom too. And here they are with Jesus. He's been resurrected before he goes to heaven. And their burning question is, will the kingdom of God be restored? Restored's like our title, which I've suddenly had a mental block on. Re-established, isn't it? Restored is like re-established. Well, they are at this time, restore again the kingdom to Israel. So, so clearly, from the disciples' point of view, they saw the re-establishment of the kingdom of Israel as a key part of Jesus' purpose. And what did Jesus say? Well, he didn't say, no, you've got that wrong. Did he? Have a look what he said, verse 7. He said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which your father hath put in his own power. But you will receive power and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to be witnesses. You're going to teach and preach about me and my gospel message through all the regions around. See that? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. But he didn't say they were wrong. He didn't say, no, 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 there'll be no kingdom. It'll just be in your heart. He didn't say that. Will you restore the kingdom? To, will we, at this time, they say, restore the kingdom of Israel? He says, it's not up to you to know the time. It's not up to you to know the time. Because God's got control of the time, see, which the Father hath put in his own power. But restore the kingdom absolutely. That is absolutely what the intent is. And it was just after that point in time that Jesus was taken up into heaven. And, and with that comes an incredibly important point. Verses 9 through 11 describe this. You know, and this is it's so simple. I've heard it described as like monosyllabic you know, words. 
to uh, thanks brother Des. But it's so simple, isn't it? So verses 9 to 11 describe Jesus being taken up into heaven. So he's talking with them, talking with them. Mount of Olives, when he had spoken these things, when he, Jesus, had spoken these things, while they beheld, so they're looking at him, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And literally, the disciples are watching Jesus going up into heaven. It sounds pretty amazing. None of us have seen someone going up into heaven, but they did. It wasn't a vision. They weren't asleep and having a dream. They literally saw Jesus going up into heaven. And while they're looking, and the Bible here, the King James Version says steadfastly. I bet they were steadfast. They're gazing up, thinking, I've never seen anything like this. While they're looking steadfastly into heaven as he goes up, suddenly there's these two men standing by in white apparel. Angels. And these angels say some amazing words. You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? They're seeing their Lord going away from them. Well, what? You don't need to stand gazing up into heaven. This same Jesus, not a different one, not a different manifestation, this same Jesus which you've seen taken up from you into heaven, the same one shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Isn't that remarkable? So just as surely as Jesus was described as going into heaven, he will return again. Literally. Physically. Visibly. See that? Because he went literally, he went physically, and he went visibly. And in the same manner, he would return. Why would he return? What's his purpose in returning? Why should he return? Because he comes to fulfill the question of verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. Jesus returns to the earth to restore and perfect the past physical kingdom of Israel. Isn't that remarkable? This man who was born the king to rule on the throne of David is coming to restore a perfected past physical kingdom of Israel. Just like the disciples thought he should in Acts chapter 1 verse 6. The only thing they got wrong was the time frame. They wanted it now. Jesus, not now. It's God has the time frame under control. Now, if you just turn over a page or two to Acts chapter 3, you can see the same theme come through very strongly there. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. These are, this is a message by Peter and John, two of the disciples. The apostles, now those who are sent out to do that preaching work that Jesus had spoken of. And they say, repent ye therefore, be converted, your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Well, that just sounds like, you know, they're going to have a swim or something. That's refreshing. No, the word doesn't mean refreshing like a nice can of Coke might be. The word itself actually 
sorry, that word refreshing probably does mean refreshing like that. I didn't go on to the next one. He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution. That's the word that doesn't mean a refreshing can of Coke. That means restoring. See this? So there's going to be a time of refreshing when God sends Jesus Christ, who's going to be in heaven until the times of restitution. The ESV translates that as restoring. There's that same idea, isn't it? God's kingdom restored. Will at this time restore again? re-established of all things which God spoke by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began so that's interesting isn't it Jesus' purpose was to be king he believed he'd be king he told people to pray for the kingdom to come the kingdom has been spoken about across the old and the new testament alike The kingdom's described as a restoring of the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus has got to be in heaven. The heaven must receive him until the time of restoring would happen. The restoring of all things. Which has been prophesied about by the holy prophets. And that brings us to this key point. Amazing point, really. The physical kingdom of God has already existed on the earth. How many people knew that? Now, was it perfect? No. Did it last forever? No. But look how it's described. First of Chronicles chapter 28. Who do you reckon is speaking based on the, the, that quote? Sort of test your brain cells. Yep. David, well done. King David. We've, hey, we've seen King David, haven't we? Remember that? He shall sit on the throne of his father David. It's Jesus Christ. David says, of all my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons, he's chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon my throne. No, he doesn't say my throne, does he? Upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. So David, perhaps, or I would, you could argue, undoubtedly, the, the most, the greatest of the kings of, of the kingdom of Israel, he says, that's no, not my kingdom. No, the kingdom of David is not really the kingdom of Israel. It's the kingdom of God. The throne of the kingdom of the Lord. Oh, I'm, just, I'm just doing my job. See how David saw that? The kingdom of Israel was the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lord. And it comes up again in 2 Chronicles 2 verse 12. This is slightly later in, in the context of people rebelling against the household of David. And you see that same phrase, the kingdom of the Lord. People were rebelling against the kingdom of the Lord. Point being, it's, this is God's kingdom that existed. God's kingdom that was in place. So the physical kingdom of God has already existed 
on the earth. It's described as that during the time particularly of David and of Solomon. What happened to that king, kingly line? Does anyone know? It's a good Sunday school lesson question here. Remember the kings? What happened in Solomon's time? After Solomon, when Solomon was dead? Sam, he scratched his head, bad mistake. Yes, the kingdom, remember, it was split. Rehoboam came along, he took the, the unwise counsel of his friends, which said, be a nasty man, you know, rule them with a rod of iron, everything will be fine. Half of them, or more than half, 10 out of the 12 tribes rebelled. And they set up their one line, and so there was the kingdom of David in the line of Judah, remember that, two kingdoms, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, and they went down. And this, the northern kingdom had some pretty ordinary kings, didn't they? Bad kings. And the southern kingdom had a mixture of good and bad. Does anyone remember what the last king of this kingdom of the Lord, not a perfected kingdom of the Lord, it's not the true kingdom, it's not the end state, it's not what we want to get, but it was a literal one, wasn't it? It was very much a literal one. You could go, if you lived in those days, you could go, like the Queen of Sheba, and you could physically go to a land that was ruled over by King Solomon with governors that were there, and there were subjects. Remember, she said, happy are thy servants. There were laws. They had to obey God. So all those things existed, those physical things, and those kingdoms, the kings came and went until, who was the last king? Kit. Zedekiah. Zedekiah. And then it came to an end. But it didn't just come to an end like a story comes to an end. There was a promise there. Come with me to Ezekiel. Didn't just sort of fizzle out and it's like, oh, well, what happened? It's all finished. No, God gave a prophecy to this last king. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lord, which was described as that when, when those kings were ruling over Israel, the kingdom of Israel is in place, through its ups and downs, good and bad, they get to this last one who is called Zedekiah. And God intervenes. Zedekiah, last one of a bad lot of kings. God said, that's it. The kingship is gone. No more kings. Until. Let's have a look at this. Let's pick it up from verse 20 actually it's interesting have a look at verse 20 this whole section is interesting isn't it so so god's speaking to ezekiel the prophet and he's sort of saying because because the the destruction of the kingdom of israel it was then it wasn't the work of men it wasn't that that clever military leaders brought it about instead it was god's work and God describes that in verse 20, doesn't he? He says, he's looking and, and he paints this picture, right? What you've got to do, Ezekiel, is you've got to come to a crossroads, right? Because the king of Babylon is going to go to that spot, verse 21. Right? Well, actually, verse 19 is where he describes it. Thou son of man, appoint thee two ways. 
that the sword of the king of Babylon may come. Right, so it, it's as if Ezekiel goes and he has to put a sign on the crossroads because in verse 21, the king of Babylon is going to go at the parting of the way, at the head of two ways. And what's he going to do? He's going to use divination. Shakes his arrows. He consults with the images. So the king of Babylon's, you know, got these pagan images and, oh, what, what do they say? He looked in the liver. That's a sacrifice, an animal. Open it up. Anyone that's read Asterix would have, would have seen that. Asterix and the soothsayer. Looking through the entrails. And, and, and his right hand is the divination for Jerusalem. So if, if the... If the divination, which is just a lot of hocus-pocus rubbish, but God says, so far as the king of Babylon is concerned, it's absolutely true. If, if the divination falls on the right-hand side, then he's heading to Jerusalem. If it falls on the left-hand side, then he's going off to someone else whose name eludes me for the moment. Am Ammonites, the Ammonites, verse 20. So they have the choices, Jerusalem or the Ammonites. God's going to make sure... He goes to Jerusalem. Verse 25, thou, so this is speaking to the last king of Israel, thou profane, wicked prince of Israel, Zedekiah, whose day is come when iniquity shall have an end. That's it, says God. You've been ruling over my kingdom and this is the end. It's reached the climax. Thus saith the Lord God, Verse 26, remove the diadem, take off the crown. So his, his positions of royal leadership are taken away. Crown is gone. This shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low, abase him that is high. You might have thought you were the king. Well, he was the king. You're going to be abased. I, God, will overturn, overturn overturn it what's the it it's the kingdom isn't it the kingship i'm going to overturn there'll be no more king i'm taking that crown away i will overturn the kingdom three times got to repeat it overturn 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 it shall be no more until until he comes whose right it is, and I, God, will give it him. How good is that? So the last king of Judah, ruling over the, the kingdom of God, last one, Zedekiah, wicked king, didn't do God's ways at all. God says, that's it. He takes away his crown takes away all his positions of authority. I'm going to overturn. Babylon's going to come down and take over the kingdom. And no one, no one is going to be king again until the one whose right it is. And I, God, will give it to him. One with the right to reign. I will give it to him. Who was the one with the right to reign? Jesus, well done. And you look at this quote. With that quote from Ezekiel chapter 21 ringing in your ears, go back to a quote we've already looked at a couple of times. 
when the angel Gabriel came and she was told you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus who will be great, great, shall be called the son of the highest oh, look at this and the Lord God shall give unto him that's what God said, isn't it? He whose right it is, and I, God, will give it him. And when that angel came, angel Gabriel came and spoke to Mary, here is the proof of Jesus being the one who has the right to reign. Not just a king because he's good at ruling people, not just a king because he had the Holy Spirit and could do miracles. Not just a king because he understood whatever kings need to understand. Budgets and justice. No, no. He's the king. Yes, he can do all of that. He's the king because God gave it to him. And the giving of that kingship that was taken from Zedekiah... When the kingdom of Israel, which is known as the kingdom of God, when that was done away with and that crown was taken from Zedekiah and God said, it's, there's not going to be another king until I give it to the one who has the right to reign. And has there ever been a king in Israel since? There has not. So when they went off to Babylon, they came back to the land 70 years later. No king. They were subservient to the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans and in AD 70 they were destroyed and passed off in and there's never been a king but there will be because there's one whose right it is because God has given him the kingship so the kingdom is a physical future reality that's what the bible teaches the physical kingdom of israel existed in the past you could physically go there touch it and be part of it it's described as god's kingdom the last king was removed and no other king would reign until the one came whose right it was which is jesus christ and jesus christ will literally Return to the earth and re-establish the kingdom of God. It's pretty simple, really, isn't it? it? Sort of makes sense. The kingdom will be a physical future reality. And, you know, that is consistent with, with the other bits and pieces we know. We know about God's purpose with the earth, one of my favourite subjects, and uh, spoken about this morning as well. But everywhere you go, looking at this ultimate purpose that God has, it, it's physical, isn't it? It's physical, it's reality. Thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. The earth, substance. He established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I'm the Lord, there's none else. It wasn't, it's not like God created things and then thought, oh, oh, we'll, just, we'll just let that fizzle away. No, go. God's purpose is with the physical earth. Physical earth. And similarly, other quotes that pick up this emphasis on the earth. 
Truly as I live, says God, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. There's a physicality associated with God's future plans. The earth. Isaiah 11 verse 9 says again, reinforcing the earth bit. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains. It's not talking about things inside your heart. It's talking about physical things. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Full of it. Habakkuk says similarly, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So you see this reference to the earth repeated in each reiteration of God's purpose. God is planning to work with the earth. How does he do this? How will God achieve that purpose? How will God change the earth? He'll change it because he'll establish that literal and physical kingdom on the earth. Last forever. We saw that time and time again. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. He'll set up a kingdom which will not be left to other nations. Till the quotes time and time again. Last forever. Ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. With faithful believers of all ages. So you've got every bit here, don't you? It's literal and physical on earth. So there's our land. Ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the king. With faithful believers of all ages. There's the governors. You know, the systems of government. Inhabited by people. The subjects. Who demonstrate God's characteristics by following his laws. Kingdom of God. And do you know, if, if we still needed convincing, which... I'm sure we don't, but if we did, every description of the impact of the kingdom is physical. Everyone. Psalm 72. Description of the kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ in prophecy. He'll judge thy people with righteousness, the poor with judgment. He's going to save the children of the needy. Break in pieces the oppressor. These aren't people sort of, as it were, things happening in someone's heart or in someone's mind. These, these people literally who are in need will be looked after. People who are oppressing others will be broken by the kingship, the rulership, the laws, the governance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the days of the kingdom. In his days shall the righteous flourish. Abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. They're physical descriptions of God's kingdom ruled by Jesus Christ. The impact of the kingdom will be physical. Therefore, it stands to reason the kingdom itself is physical. Isaiah 2 verse 4, well-known words. Words which never in, in anyone's wildest dreams could, could happen in our lifetime without some form of divine intervention. Is it? I mean, if it was left to mankind... We're not going to end up beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. We're not going to have nation, nation not learning war anymore. Quite the opposite. At the moment, we're, we're spending money furiously, building up armies, and spending a fortune on submarines and all the rest. Why? Why? Because we look around and we know that nations are not naturally peaceful. But when Jesus is the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, ruling forever... On God's kingdom, the kingdom of Israel re-established and perfected on the earth, all the nations, all the nations will come under that control. The impact of the kingdom 
is physical. So, so what? That's where it's got to get to, doesn't it? You, know, you can talk about these things and you say, well, that's all very interesting, but so what? Well, this is the so what. The Bible prophesies Jesus Christ will return to the earth, and we haven't sort of looked at this near future element, but it's very, very clear that we are living in the days when we can expect that to happen and happen soon. But our Lord Jesus Christ will set up God's kingdom and it'll be a kingdom that will last forever. And the, the beauty is, the, the, just like the message that went out by the apostles and Jesus said to take it to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, then we have the mechanism to do that as well. The Bible provides a means for everyone to learn about God, for everyone to develop God's characteristics, to be part of that kingdom. And the final sort of appeal is the appeal that the apostle Paul gave. It's in Athens at the time. And he says, yeah, there's times of ignorance. I didn't really know what God wanted. And, and it, it, God sort of ignored it. He winked at it, it says. It just means to sort of to disregard. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's, that's the hope, isn't it? I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of that kingdom? Sounds pretty amazing. It's appointed a day. God has appointed a day in the which he'll judge the world in righteousness. By who? By that man whom he hath ordained. Who's that man? Yes, absolutely. Remember the one whose right it is. The one that God would give the kingdom to. Whereof he's given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. And that, that is our hope. The kingdom of God is literally and physically going to be a reality on the earth. And the Bible promises all those that wish to be a part of that to join in the, that great future that is in store. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.